this computer. Recording in progress. Terrifying. <laughs> Never done this before, so we'll see what that's like. My and goodness help. gracious. Well, hello everyone. Uh, welcome to Super, Super Duper, Duper Stitious. Stitious. The, the podcast about, about sp- spooky, strange, mysterious things uh, examined from a scientific perspective. I'm Jake. And I am Wyatt. As Welcome it just back. so happens. It just so happens to be. That was the uh, name given to me some 34 years ago. Uh, yep. <laughs> now what? <laughs> this week, as promised, we are once again breaking out the NCAA for its original intended purpose forcing a bunch of cults to fight in a cursed simulation iteratively existing in constant conflict living and dying again and again over the course of 10,000 years now we all know the NCAA has been used on every episode for quite some time now specifically in the context of its highly powerful add-on the pander function oh yeah with which we of course calculate the cryptids and creatures our patreon patrons each personally need to avoid but obviously uh, none of us have forgotten that NCAA stands for say it with me Nominal Cults Antagonism Association Analyzer. That's right. It's the arcane computer we originally built slash summoned in order to make a bunch of cults fight for a March Madness thing we haphazardly planned for what we thought might be a one-off novelty episode two years ago. But it's not. Let's fire this bad boy up. Uh Uh-oh, I'm getting an alert. It says, compiling error, cult input overload, bugs equals very yes. Oh. So, never mind. Uh, I guess we'll do March Madness again next year in a much bigger way than ever before. I'll turn the NCAA off and back on again so we can do Pander later in the episode. You want to talk about bugs, Wyatt? I would love to talk about bugs instead of all those crazy cults. (laughs) We'll save that for later. As in 365-ish days from now. (laughs) But of course... Before we get into is bugs, I can't go on without first mentioning that groovy and growing brewery in Western Massachusetts, which incorporates, and we can all do it at the same time, of course, Big Tank, Smoke Monster, Amplifier, Acoustics, Botany, Moisture, and Yeast, and time to make a particular brand of fermented refreshment, which I'm led to understand is beer. (laughs) That is right. If you are in the New England area... And want to buy a beer. Or more than one. Consider buying four Phantoms. What did you say, Jake? Nothing. That's right. <laughs> and if you happen to be close enough to visit their tavern, the Four Phantoms Tavern in Greenfield, Massachusetts, they currently have many a delicious drink on tap, including Witch Cult IPA, Witch Finder Pale Ale, Wizard Fight Session IPA, Dirtweed, Purple Potion, Johnny Flip Flops, Bite Back, Cloak of Feathers, Final Harvest, Long Table, A Man Gloom, On Nitro, Cork by Candlelight, On Nitro, Baron of Brackley, On Nitro, Barguest, and Worship Doom. Wow. That's a lot of beer. That is a lot of beer, and a lot of good beer, in fact. And that is all alongside great food, cool merch, and an excellent atmosphere. Check them out, and thank you, Four Phantoms. For your support, let's get into it. It is time for the bugs. The bugs. The bugs. Yes, I can hear John rolling in his grave, <laughs> which he has not Dying first entered. and then yes. rolling into it. Um, <laughs> uh, let's see here now. I, uh, I feel like I had a dream recently about being 
in just some area of Chicago and just saying bears to different people and Jonathan was there just like saying it back to me it was great really I, I, I don't know why <laughs> this is like a couple of nights ago it's an interesting uh, dream although this may have partly been because a uh, friend of the show Jordan was trying her best to do a Chicago accent which it turns out isn't the easiest thing to do when your accent is Australian ah yes but I think she got there in the end I, did I would of- say a cooler accent um I once practiced what I thought was an Australian accent for a week and tried it on Australian English as first language folks, and they uh, found it to be quite humorous, (laughs) despite me thinking I had honed it in. (laughs) But I think it was the equivalent of someone trying to be like, how are you all doing in like an American English accent? Good day, mate. Yes. Yes. (laughs) Should we throw some shrimp on the barbecue? (laughs) Shall we? (laughs) Yeah. But as it is an even episode, Mm -hmm. you Mm -hmm. go first. I Mm -hmm. finally decoded the hieroglyphics, (laughs) which is to say you sent me a list of operations explicitly spelling out how today would go earlier. Otherwise, I would have been... A confused, <laughs> as the Australians would say. Yes. <laughs> uh, you know that I'm no stranger to a camera, Wyatt. I've been a professional videographer for a number of years uh, that would make me feel old if I calculated it. And I've been known to snap the occasional still photograph as well. And I'm no stranger to bugs either. I believe you call them slow movies, correct? <laughs> That's right. Uh, I'm not stranger to bugs either, including on this show. Back in episode 64, I covered the phenomenon of flying rods. And as was put so eloquently by the fire killer himself in the second field report he submitted to us, rods is bugs. Sage words. Yes. Uh, if anyone out there has any leads on the whereabouts of Sean Wayne Kulisuskis, please reach out to us immediately. Contact at superduperstitious.com. He also answers to biggest dick guy, good looking but will whip your ass, Top Dog, Too Cute, and other aliases. Uh, any information you can provide is greatly appreciated. We uh, attempted to pay for milk carton missing person profiles. The price has gone up on those significantly from when I was lost as a child. Yeah, because we apparently have to go back in time to when milk cartons were like more commonly used, I guess. Really annoying. It's also challenging in that I think they're still handed out in middle school lunchrooms, but little kids are terrible at crime. (laughs) Anyway, there is a phenomenon here uh, that is not unlike flying rods, uh, which we have encountered numerous times on the show and sort of danced around here and there without ever digging into it properly. So today, I want to, of course, give the full spotlight or camera flash, as it were, to... Orbs. Oh, God, no. <laughs> uh, it's a really important topic. Why? I don't know why you seem unhappy about this. Ugh. Oh, Wyatt is leaving. He's not taking his headphones out, but he is leaving. That's going to be a problem. Clump, oh. clump, <laughs> clump, clump, clump. That's the sound Wyatt's feet make if you haven't heard. He dropped his microphone down on the floor where you could hear them. Okay. <laughs> So orbs are, of course, uh, a phenomenon you mostly see in still photographs. Sometimes you see it in video stuff, like in ghost hunting shows. 
but um, it says circles that show up in the picture, and there they are. And people are like, oh, ooh, what's that? And that's what an orb is. And uh, people get real excited about them. Um, the explanation that you or I might have heard is that it is, uh, you know, dust, dust. Um, or or flotsam, perhaps jetsam, mm. and sometimes bugs. Yes. Just in front of the camera and out of focus when the flash goes off. Uh, if you look at photos that have orbs in them, it's very easy if you've ever seen a photo or focused on things with your eyes to imagine, oh, there's something in the foreground reflecting light that's out of focus. Correct. But not everyone agrees on that. Uh, no. This is all the phenomenon that uh, actually causes this with the the dust and bug flash. It's called the backscatter effect. Huh. And it is actually a little cooler than just, oh, a thing lit up. It is specifically when something causes light to reflect directly back at its source. And so that's why when the camera flash goes off, you have the light flashing straight back at the camera again. Mm. And it is kind of neat. It is kind of neat. Yeah. But who are we to take such mundane explanations for granted? Why, there are orb experts out there. And we would be fools. Fools! Not to seek out their input. Exactly. Uh, The first of our orb experts today is Gundy Heinemann, who wrote an article for HealYourLife.com in 2010 entitled... Seeing orbs in your digital photos? Oh, boy. Multitudes of people all over the world have been noticing opaque circular features in their flash photographs taken with digital cameras, making them wonder what they mean. It's called a face. Uh, (laughs) Just people are taking pictures of. What is magnificent about these orbs is not how bright, how large, or how many you capture in one photo, but that they are there at all and what that means to you. Hmm. The message they likely want to convey to you is simple, practical, helpful, and affirming. Clean your fucking apartment. <laughs> Symbols come to us and speak in their unique language that communicates directly to the soul. Symbols have transforming abilities. They point towards something that allows us to change and move forward toward what is essential. Boy. They're like signposts on the way, pointing toward deeper meaning and what brings significance to our life. Oh boy. Symbols speak to our intuitive way of taking in data. They reach directly to our core, circumventing the mind and communicating information. So intuitive means just like, oh, just kind of... Using your imagination. Yeah, and you can completely circumnavigate uh, thought into just having it in your head, and then that's better than any other way of getting information. The circle, or the sphere in a three-dimensional expression, represents oneness, wholeness, unity, come unity, coming together as one. Now that's the words come and unity hyphenated together. And I'm like 80% sure it's not meant as a sex thing, but uh, it comes up several times in this particular article. Man, oh man. When they saw the Earth as a sphere circling in space, the astronauts had a profound experience. The pictures of the globe on which we all live, taken from the moon in 1968, became a transforming symbol to remind us of our interconnectedness and the fragile state of the system on which we all live. Photos of planet Earth now readily available to be seen by everybody serve as a reminder of our destiny to come together as one. Digital photography is makes... this for real? I, I, I said an expert. Why? I told you. And I have another expert after this. Uh, digital My photography goodness. makes it possible to see things that heretofore could not be seen. People in many places around the world report having taken photos of circular light phenomena or orbs, which we have identified as emanations from spirit beings. 
both uh, capitalized. Really missed a trick on emanations there. Yeah. Uh, conscious entities that are not part of our physical world. So it's really important. What, um, what she is taking from all this is that the fact that orbs are circles is really significant because of all the different things that circles can mean. And therefore, they're trying to communicate certain stuff to us. Uh, okay. Perhaps okay. their visibility is intended to wake us up to the following notions. You are one. All is one. We are one. One earth, one humanity, one spirit. Dr. One Browners. people interconnected, interrelated with one destiny. Come on now. Side note, do you remember the song Leanne from Broad City by any chance? I think it was in like the um, penultimate season or maybe the last season. No. Okay. Never mind. It becomes clear that only by working together can we solve our numerous global challenges. No wonder that orbs show up in great numbers when people celebrate, sing, dance, and do things that might kick up dust in a joyful, cooperative way. <laughs> uh, perhaps they want to remind us of our true purpose, to or realize... have mm-hmm. sex in a graveyard. <laughs> uh, our true purpose, to realize come unity as we live in harmony and work together for the benefit of all. Man, oh man. The, it's, yeah, I, I want badly to make a super superstitious community t-shirt now. <laughs> we got to make it. Uh, the orbs serve as powerful... Re- a new direction. Sorry, go on. <laughs> um, powerful reminders of our destiny. When these light spheres are photographically enhanced and enlarged, a thing that is definitely possible to do, just like you see in crime shows, yes. an intricate interiority with intriguing shapes in different colors becomes visible. Uh, something you or I might call pixels. <sighs> they have symbolic significance. It is likely that specific messages expressed in these features will become clear in time. Well, as we know from Blade Runner, in the year 2019, we figured out a way to punch in on pictures essentially infinitely. <laughs> That's right. And so <laughs> I believe them because, Makes of course, sense. we are now in the year 2022. That's right. So we've gotten real good at it by now. Freddie Silva, one of the world's foremost experts on crop circles and orbs, recently stated that the orbs seem to replace the phenomenon of crop circles. You know the way intentional hoaxes get replaced by a random bullshit? It's that. Yeah. In principle, all phenomena tend to be ignored or rationalized away by some critics, with the abundance of orbs being captured by thousands of people like you and us all over the world, where enjoying photography with a digital camera is essentially the only required common denominator. We seem to receive strong signals to pay attention to what connects us all. Or common denominator, as may be the case. <laughs> to what come next us all. That's right. Maybe we could have a t-shirt that's summa cum unity. <laughs> Might be getting too many layers removed. I don't know. Well, that's what you need in order to come as one. <laughs> Ignoring these signals is becoming increasingly difficult and at the same time irresponsible. (laughs) In the process of coming together, cooperating for the benefit of the whole, wonderful possibilities can unfold. As we anchor the idea of all is one deep in our hearts, we can release our innate gifts and co-create life in a conscious, fulfilling way with magnificent global outcomes. Easy, easy. (laughs) On second thought, maybe this is about fucking, I'm not sure. Uh, the messengers are, messengers of hope are around us, waiting to help. They have always been, and now we can actually see them. They live in an energetically different system, and their entanglement with our robust physical system has heretofore, our favorite word of hers, been too subtle to be recognized by us humans. 
Our mainstream technological achievements and advances in science have not helped, but actually aggravated our ability to connect with other realms until the digital camera made it possible for us to receive their messages on a large scale. The technology was making it worse and worse until specifically digital cameras. <laughs> yeah, until it made it better. And then it was like, oh, no, that was good. Orbs have become so powerful that it is getting harder and harder to ignore them. They show nothing new, but they communicate in a fresh way the wisdom that has always been there. May we, the human species, become perceptive to this wisdom! Exclamation point. Thoughts so far, Mr. Dr. Shell? I think this woman wants to get pregnant. <laughs> I think she could find a pattern in a plaster wall <laughs> and i can't wait to hear what else orbs can do yeah so we can't stop with just one expert gundy's husband klaus heinemann phd oh wrote a Whoa. 2014 article on healyourlife.com as well entitled orbs 101 what do <laughs> orbs in your pictures mean <laughs> or how to come five times in one sitting <laughs> Uh, he what begins, was Andy Daly's line in one thing? I'm up to ten comes in a night. <laughs> um, Carry on. Uh, he begins, Millions of people have been noticing opaque circular features in their flash photographs taken with digital cameras and have wondered what they mean. Wow. Side note, I just think it's really cute when a married couple plagiarizes each other. It's yeah. just great. What's going on with that? They're co-creating, Jake. That's true. Uh <laughs> By making use of digital photography, it appears that spirit beings, all capitals, or not all capitals, but capitalized, uh, have devised a means to provide irrefutable evidence of their existence. Hmm. In the book I co-wrote with Gundy Heinemann titled Orbs, Their Mission and Messages of Hope, we report our rational and intuitive evaluation of a large number of orb pictures with regard to the specific messages that may be contained in them. You know it's a bad sign when a person has to say it is rational and intuitive. Mm-hmm. Well, Explicitly. in this case, intuitive, I think, is meant to imply the idea of information that is just like gone straight into you without... Yes. Uh, no, yeah. Um, after years of orb studies and consideration, we have found common qualities of orbs such as high velocity... The ability to expand and contract in size extremely quickly, and a high degree of consciousness. They appear through an emanation into our physical reality. Now, if I am understanding correctly, Klaus's PhD is in physics, so this guy clearly hmm. knows what he's talking about and would never overlook the idea that, you know, for example, sometimes there is stuff in the air, and that stuff can be between the camera and the other stuff in the picture, blah, blah. and that it can move closer or perhaps farther away. Uh, he he would have definitely considered those things. Yeah. Uh, here are it's also the, uh, not the case at all that the more credentials that you have, the better able you are at uh, essentially duping yourself. Yes. <laughs> uh, here are his six characteristics of orbs. He says, <laughs> orbs are likely not spirit beings in and by themselves, but emanations from spirit beings. Oh, he's talking like monads. You ever read the monadology? I know I no. sound like I'm doing a bit right now. I don't know what that is. <laughs> Appropriately, the word nads is in there. Mm -hmm. Orbs show up in digital photos and sometimes even in photos taken with conventional emulsion film cameras. Due to the technology involved, it takes extremely little physical energy for an orb to be recorded in a digital photograph. Uh, number four, orbs appear to take the minute amount of physical energy required for being recorded in digital images from the camera flash. So he's picking up the fact that 
orbs are becoming visible because of the camera flash. So Some sort of photon excitement happening here. Yeah, and it's all because the camera flash is happening, and there's nothing else to read into that. Isn't that interesting? <laughs> to minimize the energetic requirement for being recorded by cameras, orbs focus their energy with laser-like accuracy into the camera rather than into other directions where there is no camera to capture them. Boy, oh boy. And uh, number six, orbs respond to requests to appear in photographs and will generally not bother showing up in photos when they anticipate their presence will not be noticed. Therefore, it is reasonable for us to argue that there is intent behind their showing. Boy, oh boy. (laughs) (laughs) And I, to be fair, I have not asked dust or bugs to be in my pictures and seen if that compares any differently to when... I don't do that, so... Worth the test, I suppose. Yeah, I should I should do that uh, this week. I'll try it out. And uh, let's see, there are many critics who argue against the authenticity of orbs. They claim that they are merely reflections of airborne particles and insects positioned in close vicinity to the camera's lens. We believe that this explanation cannot be upheld for numerous reasons, which we explain oh in our book, including an experiment where an orb was photographed under clean room conditions where airborne particles of the size that could explain reflection effects could not have been present. Whoa. Even if reflection at airborne particles... It must particles have been at a Holiday Inn Suites, the <laughs> cleanest rooms in America. <laughs> uh, new sponsor. Even if reflection at airborne particles were the origin of orbs, the mysticism about evidence of non-human thought would be undiminished. It would shift from the miracle, quote-unquote, of producing physical energy with means from another realm to the undiminished miracle of affecting the positioning and timing of numerous tiny airborne particles in a meaningful way that clearly defies the laws of statistics. Boy, oh boy. So even if it is just dust and bugs, they are still being positioned in a way that is very meaningful and can't be random. Huh. So, wow. Very Joanna. Very, when you zoom in on a hair long enough... And you get up so close to it, it may as well be a tree trunk kind of mm-hmm. stuff going on here. Well, if you zoom and enhance enough on it. Yes. yes. Yeah. Eventually, if you zoom in and enhance enough, you'll find out that there's actually a woman in the background of that hair. And she has a fish scale on her cheek. And you'll be like, oh, shit. That's the same one that I just happened to pick up over in some other place. <laughs> and then you go and uh, and chase Kill her through. <laughs> yeah. Like, find them in the green room at like a... a- yeah club and then you'll actually realize it's a snake scale anyway this whole time and you'll chase them and shoot through a lot of public places and then yes uh, only hit them though yep and then they'll dramatically crash through a bunch of glass and then their Uh friend will be really mad at you and they'll try to kill you but then your girlfriend will kill them and then you guys are going to go back to your apartment you're going to have a long conversation (laughs) about stuff and then you're going to kind of like assault her weirdly but she's going to be super into it for some reason because it's the 80s but and actually it's 2019 Ford. yeah and you don't know how to say is this cool you only know how to say kiss me uh yeah it's kind of like that yeah exactly like that uh, as we hypothesize on the evidence at hand we can see that the orb process begins with consciousness of a sentient being outside of this world and ends as physical evidence on the image of a recording device In other words, an intentional energetic imprint from a reality outside of our 
physical reality is recorded inside our physical reality. Since it is our rationale that orbs are emanations from spirit beings, again capitalized, that means our reality does not end in our current perception of physics, i.e. the speed of light or the most modern particle physics. It extends far beyond that, by many orders of magnitude, into a realm that, just as ours, encompasses sentient beings, most probably more intelligent beings than we find in our current physical reality. Okay. (laughs) Orbs can show up in digital (laughs) photographs because they can generate minute energies, not from their own energy reservoir in their own realm, but by simply converting them from physical energy, which is kind of an oxymoron, uh, that we nonchalantly offer to them when we take our flash digital photographs. Ah. What is magnificent about orbs is not how bright, how large, or how many you capture in one photo. Again, we're getting back into the spousal um, uh, plagiarism, Uh, (laughs) but that they are there and what that means to you. In our book, Orbs, Their Mission and Messages of Hope, we report on rational and intuitive evaluation of a large number of orb photos with regards to the messages that may be contained in them. Uh-huh. With the abundance of orbs being photographed all over the world, we are reminded that spirit is within us, lovingly assisting us on our life path. Why not? Yeah. They end on a uh, see-it-as-you'd-like-to-see-it kind of message, which is, you know, fine. And why not is the exact same approach I had to looking at their book, Orbs, Their Mission and Messages of Hope, and deciding, (laughs) should I buy this? (laughs) Subtitle, How to Reach Ten Cums in a Night. (laughs) So, uh, as will become uh, more apparent uh, in the mini-sode for this week, uh, I have gotten real tickled by the idea of spending money on books by people. Ooh. who seem to have interesting ideas. I'm excited about this. So, uh, yeah, I, I bought this for under $2 to get the digital one. I'm looking at it now in the, uh, unfortunately, the Kindle um, cloud app thing because I could not get... About to be re- uh, rebranded different... as Cumdle, of course. <laughs> um, I'm just going to take a quick scan to... Uh, here's the uh, the even-if rationale he was talking about. Even if all orbs in our photos could be proven to be nothing other than normal physical reflections of the flash of airborne particles... So it'll be argued that the mere circumstance that we see these orbs in photos and positions that are clearly not random indicates that thought from outside of our physical realm may be involved. Because if you look at photos that have orbs in them, they're never just in a random spot. There's always a reason that it's in a spot. <laughs> and, huh. uh, you know, These guys would be great decide. at, like, mapping out new constellations, I feel like. Yes. You know what I mean? These oh, are the people sure. you want to establish cultural tokens mm-hmm. for people who have zero understanding of actually how the world works. Yeah, it's true. But um, yeah, I'll, I'll click through a little more so if you can find their actual experiment um, that they performed in a, a room free of dust and stuff. Photo 65 was taken in January 2009 by Dr. Andreas Burkhardt of Ulrich Volz, Konstanz, Germany. Under ISO uh, 14644-1, Class 7 Clean Room Conditions. Now, ISO, that is international standards and stuff. Uh, Unfortunately, I think I know from my current job that that is a specific standard, in this case, for clean room conditions, I guess. Huh. I'm used to uh, ISO standards for um, dimensional measurement, but um, there's all kinds of numbers. The photo is essential proof that the orb cannot be explained as due to reflection at an airborne particle. Do we have a sense of what an ISO 14644-1 class 7 clean room actually qualifies? Like, how does that qualify in the grand scheme of... That's a good question. Clean rooms? 
it actually that clean? Um, here is a look at clean room standards, looking at the different classes up to seven different criteria thereof. So it's showing different sized particles and what number of them can be in a cubic meter. So huh. the higher the number, it looks like the more are permitted. So actually, class seven is relatively low. But then in class seven, it doesn't seem to have anything for these smaller size particles. It's, it's more for larger particles. Which would be closer to things that would ping perhaps as an orb in a camera. Probably, yeah. So, so that in, in your fucking faces, guys. <laughs> and on top of that, um, one of the important possible sources of orbs is uh, dust particles on the camera sensor. Yeah. Not actually in the room. And from the way that picture looked, which I'll, I'll post a picture of the picture into the uh, <laughs> thing, it is the kind I might expect, especially when they light it up with like um, in post to try to make it very visible. It's the kind of much subtler orb you might see if it's something on the camera lens or inside of the sensor. Right. So anyway, that's what I got from my bug adjacent phenomenon. Wowzers. Well, thank you very much, Jake. It was nice to finally uh, crack the old orb off the bat, as it were. <laughs> a topic I know we both look on with uh, some measure of sneering. Not us. No, certainly not us. Sneering is what I do when I appreciate things. Right. Yes. And I will now take us straight into the jaws of what one might call... Real life orbs, which is what I now call arthropods. <laughs> I've decided that for my segment today, I'll present some fun facts about three groups of bugs. Again, really arthropods that uh, may as well be minor monsters of their own in my book. This is one of your classic uh, nature is stranger than fiction type segments. So buckle up, everyone. Mm-hmm. They are totally gross. <laughs> <laughs> and Jake, I invite you to jump in at any time uh, to make this a freewheeling conversation if you like. Sure, I'll jump in right now to say that uh, the prompt was bugs from a couple weeks ago when I randomly said, like, oh, let's do bugs. And you and I both knew that that just meant some kind of creepy crawly thingy arthropods, as you say. Um, to the listener out there, that's usually how we all understand bugs. But yes. uh, in entomology, bugs specifically refer to one particular uh, group of arthropods. Yeah, a group of arthropods. True, true bugs. bugs. Hemipterans. Um, they're the ones that have like the kind of, well, you think I see a stink bug or a, a box elder bug, like one of those. Of all insects, they truly suck. <laughs> oh, it's a, fun, it's a fun joke for people who know bug things. Anyway. <laughs> Weevils, also bugs. Oh, really? I think. Are they beetles? No, they're beetles. I think they're beetles with long Sorry. snoots. Yeah, just thinking of things that suck, so that's why I went there. But. Yeah, especially if you got crops, am I right? Yeah. So I've loosely ranked these from least to most gross. <laughs> so in first place at number three, we have in New Zealand. Uh, oh, my God. New Zealand may be a relatively small place, but it has made up for any struggles in topographical geographic size with some of its arthropods specifically its weta style crickets mm-hmm. but simply these are huge old crickets there's what about that? 70 it's pronounced weta 
Wita? Wita. Okay, my bad. It, Specifically, no, I'm, I'm just, it's just, Wita crickets. No, you're, you're correct. I just the New Zealand Oh, accent. yeah. Wita. Wita. You Wita style crickets? I can't do it. I'm not going to do it. <laughs> I give up. I think it's for the best. Based on your Australian accent uh, experiences, I'm guessing. I know. I've jumped right back on the boat. Much further. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, well, one survivor from the Titanic who's like, let's go again. <laughs> Just full steam ahead into that one. Uh, there are 70 species of weta, all endemic to New Zealand. Here are now some excerpts from George Gibbs' appropriately titled article, The Demon Grasshoppers, which is all about weta. Too much about weta. A group of insects known as giant weta, the Dinocreta, literally demon grasshoppers, include okay. New Zealand's largest insects. These monsters have survived here some 70 million years in much the same form as they are today. I guess he means unchanging over time. They have watched yeah. the demise of the dinosaurs and the rise of the birds. They have dinosaurs. watched and uh, admired from afar their handiwork. Yes, they are also 70 million years old, undying beasts. Uh, in the wild, you will find them inside hollow trees or in the hollow stems of just about any kind of plant. They enter head first, leaving their massive spiny hind legs blocking the passage to any intruder. In the evening, they back up towards the entrance of their tunnel so that a suite of sense organs on the abdomen can assess the weather conditions. And only if everything seems right, preferably warm, damp, and very dark without a moon, they will venture out to feed and wander. They form loose social aggregations, which are kind of cool. The males will mate with many females, and they'll fight with each other, male to male. Usually the male with the bigger head wins. Mm -hmm. And that has led to them having very big, freaky-ass heads. <laughs> Uh, for an insect, a weta enjoys a long lifespan. It takes from one and a half to two years to develop from egg to an adult, which is crazy. Wow. Um, and then the adult weta may live for another six uh, months to two years Damn. after that. So you're looking at like up to a four-year-old little beastie. Equivalent-sized warm-blooded mammals have a shorter life. So a mouse, wow. for instance, can expect to live only about 18 months. Uh, Weta are omnivorous, but most eat just veggies, so that's nice. Um, although ground Weta are upsettingly more active and much more reliant upon animal prey. <laughs> <laughs> and Gibbs goes on and on and on about these guys if you're interested. Uh, my main takeaways on this point are that they are basically just enormous crickets the size of gerbils. And while they are certifiably harmless and awesome creatures, they are also certifiably gross. Big old crickets. Lastly, on this bit, here is a fascinating video. Yes, I realize you will not be able to see it at home, uh, but please follow our links. Uh, this is of researcher Dr. Silla Wehi explaining some of her work on Weta while holding a Weta. And it's fascinating because you would never know from her voice that this big, enormous Weta is just grabbing and biting and wriggling all over her hands <laughs> in a way that would probably cause... Anyone else to die <laughs> instantly? Okay, so this is a male um, tree weta. See? Weta. Oh, you're right. Weta, you from it's, going, there. it's got very large mandibles. Wow. And he will draw blood if you get in the way. Um, 
Jesus. But generally, um, when males fight, uh, the fight doesn't go to an extreme where on one of them dies. Usually, they His can mandibles sort are so big. It's to that point. She seems like she could not care less. It just slimed her. It's waving its weird little abdomen around. That oh is... my god! <laughs> yeah, that is uh, upsetting. I remember them looking less creepy than that. I thought they were just like big and cricket, but <laughs> depending on the species. Okay. Uh, so some are just big crickets, which is still like, ooh, that's a really big cricket. But uh, mm-hmm. but yeah. So that's that one. Um, second in second place. Any and all of the twisted wing parasites from the Strepsiptera. Jake, do you know these guys just at first blush? The name Twisted Wing sounds familiar. I think I may have seen the effects of the parasitism, but I don't really know if I remember anything else beyond that. That's exciting because they are so gross. Uh, These are also, (laughs) incidentally, major pests for native bees in North America, but they'll parasitize most any bug okay so that's why i remember them is because bees yes i'll jump into a couple chunks of matt simon's article in wired entitled appropriately absurd creature of the week the insect that devours its mother from the inside out <laughs> uh female stripsiptera invade the bodies of all manner of insects where they wait patiently to be mated allow their young to consume their bodies and then eventually emerge from the still very much alive host insect as many as a million of them in one species that parasitizes large grasshoppers. And don't worry, I'll break down their life cycle in just a sec. The 600 or so species of Strepsiptera are some of the cleverest, most brutal parasites on Earth, he says hyperbolically. Unlike a lot of parasites out there, they have no interest in keeping their host alive for very long. They use them, abuse them, and explode out of their bodies, leaving gaping wounds that haven't the slightest chance of healing. Their life cycle must be one of the strangest and most wonderfully complex among all parasites. Things are very different for male and female Strepsiptera. Males look like you'd expect, with wings and antennae and mandibles and big, beautiful eyes. The females, not so much. Quote, the female is like a bag of eggs, said entomologist <laughs> J.R. René Katiratampi of the University of Oxford, Continuing, just a mere bag of eggs. The female has nothing. No eyes, no antennae. It has no mouth parts. It's nothing. (laughs) And this is no joke. Um, That is literally what it is. I will show you now. I will show to you now a picture. (laughs) Boom. Males on the right. Yep. Female uh, is literally just like a <laughs> tube with a vagina. Jesus Christ. This is the bug fleshlight. <laughs> Essentially. The female does have an oviduct. She sticks this out of her host's exoskeleton, often just between the turga, which are the plates, the sort of bony exoskeletal plates that make up your standard insect abdomen. Mm-hmm. And she promptly emits a pheromone. And the males come running. They'll inseminate her right there on the host. Males, for their part, they just burst out of the host and then live for only about three to six hours. Wow. They don't even eat. They just simply find a female, mate, and die. Amazing they can find one that fast. Isn't it astounding? Well, they have quite pronounced antennae for their body size, so I think Mm. that is all they're doing is just going for it. (laughs) 
to break down their life cycle, uh, we have a very helpful figure from Tolash, Kel, and Dutterl. Uh, 2012 article in the Journal of Chemical Ecology, which handles the reproduction and life cycle in a certain species of Strepsiptera. Mm -hmm. And yeah, they break down how this works from uh, step to step. From strep to strep? Yes. Let's actually start it from (laughs) the larva of of one of these twisted wing insects. Uh, that's just sort of in the environment. It has hatched out of the mother and crawled out of the host. Mm-hmm. It's picked up by a new potential host and brought back to that host's nest. So you can imagine a bee picks it up off of a flower mm-hmm. and then incidentally drops this little teeny tiny larvae off in its nest, which it, this this strepsipteran larvae then gets into the bee's larvae. Wow where it grows without harming the host inside of the host as the host matures in the larva yes it actually gets in without without causing damage it's one of the great mysteries and so they're able the bee is able to metamorphose into an adult form with that inside and nothing happens to that inside correct wow so normally you would expect uh the bees immune system to kind of detect this little guy but no they are able to escape detection they if they're a male when they reach maturity they just erupt out of the turgite mm-hmm. between the turgites these are the those those bony plates if it's a female she just sticks her her business end out <laughs> the male flies around finds the female mates with her right there and then, uh, yeah, she she becomes essentially a ton of little larvae in the process, begins anew all over again. So here we have some real-life pictures. Oh, yeah. Male, female Ugh. thing. Wow. And then pictures of infested hosts <laughs> oh, no. just look so deeply uncomfortable. Parasites of bugs are just like... It's a horrifying thing if you are a small invertebrate, the kind of stuff that can happen to you. Oh, boy. It's kind of my takeaway for today, actually. We'll get to that in a minute. <laughs> yeah, because this is only number two out of these three. Correct. So there is a paper wasp with, you'll see, one, oh, two, three. Oh, uh, it looks very uncomfortable. It looks deeply uncomfortable. Yeah. It looks like you can imagine, like, if something was protruding out from underneath your fingernail or mm-hmm. something. Like, exactly in between your fingernail like. and your skin. Blech. And you can imagine it feels even worse for these poor <laughs> bugs. So they parasitize all <sighs> number of creatures. Yeah, so there you go. Strepsiptera, totally gross. And how. And how. Last, but far from least, beating out even the Strepsiptera for me is number one. Any and all of the Solifugae or camel spiders. Okay, yeah, fair. <laughs> I think I brought these up before I to think you, so. just in our being friends. And I think maybe even mention them in passing on the show. I don't recall. I may have. It's finally time to confront my greatest fear. They are <laughs> essentially as harmless to humans as the Weta or Wita. Technically far less ghoulish than the Strepsiptera. But boy, oh boy, I don't like them. So how to even describe them in an audio format? They look like fleshy, gangly limbed, very round bodied spiders. They aren't actually spiders, but their overall profile reads as like a hairless, lanky tarantula. Mm-hmm. Uh, they have a very distinct 
head, you could say, which is made up of essentially just two enormous mouth parts, which are their uh, chelicerae, which are basically two crab claws <laughs> that they use as like macerating jaws. And each of these claws can chew independently. Good God. They're so powerful, they can easily cut through skin and even thin bones of prey animals. Wow. Sitting just behind these jaws, you might expect to find like a bunch of spidery-ass eyes, but they instead, <laughs> even perhaps more upsettingly, have just two little central eyes, which are, I guess, technically large for insects, but still look very small and like creepy on their body. <laughs> Uh, they appear to have five pairs of legs, but the first are actually leg-like appendages called pedipalps, which they share anatomically in that way with spiders and other arachnids. Mm -hmm. And these function partly as sense organs, kind of like antennae, partly as indeed that fifth pair of legs, which they technically aren't, and partly as capture organs, the very ends of these pedipalps, the tips are equipped with what are essentially suction cups. Hmm. that um, adhere to exoskeletons and other things very, very well. It's in, it's crazy. Uh, so you add to this their incredible speed. They can, they can scooch across the uh, surface of the soil at up to 16 kilometers per hour or 10 Jeez. miles per hour. How many miles per hour? 10. 60? Yeah, 60 okay. miles per hour. <laughs> May as well be. And you, you factor that in with their impressive size – which they can reach up to, in some species, six whole inches. Mm -hmm. And uh, I am turning the other way. <laughs> so, yeah, these guys are genuinely the stuff of nightmares. They are, again, functionally harmless to humans. Uh, they lack venom glands, interestingly enough, mm -hmm. probably because they don't need them. But venom or no, even Wikipedia cops to the fact that, quote, because of their unfamiliar spider-like appearance and rapid movements... Solifugae have startled or even frightened many people, unquote. <laughs> it goes on to discuss several cases of urban legend or hysteria centered on these singularly creepy critters. So you'll hear stories of these things killing pets or entire camels and all the rest of it. Now you can find tons of videos of Solifuge on YouTube. Some are very awesome and some are pretty painful to watch just because they feature a camel spider, quote-unquote, fighting with another species, mm. like a spider or a scorpion or something. But it just sucks because it's like very clearly someone just stuck these things in a cage and mm. poked them to fight with one another and mm, basically good. kill each other. So that really is not cool. Mm -hmm. But if you're looking for something to do other than sleep after <laughs> listening to this episode, uh, you can check some of that out. And I suppose we could watch one right now if you want. Why wouldn't we? Just to enjoy, and you could tell us what you see. New Atlantis Wild. Solifugae. Oh, yeah, those two weird <laughs> separate jaw things. It is a deeply strange-looking animal. It's upsetting to me. Just uh, scrabbling in the doit. Seems to be constructing a burrow, perhaps? Oh, yeah, there it goes. There's the big old giant sun, and I'm guessing something's going to happen at nighttime. The two, like you said, the two weird little eyes in the very center of the head like that are very odd and off-putting. They're upsetting just, as anything. By being so distinctly strange. It's just like feeling around this big, reachy-outy, uh, was it the pedipalps you said? Yeah. They're so big. They're so long. 
like an aspire there's like little tiny kind of like hands in the front but this is just like real, oh, here you go. Real. there's a little cricket oh it's not a wita is it wita <laughs> <laughs> Oh, oh, got him. Chop, go. chop, chop. Bye-bye. So anyway, they're just like the kind of creature you wouldn't want on a on your chest. Not they particularly, say. no. Bad times for all. Bad times for all. So yeah, basically, things I've described today, astounding in there being all too really real, freaky, and awesome. Mm-hmm. Also, a great case to take a few moments out of each day to uh, thank the gods that you are not only about an inch tall. Yes. As you mentioned earlier, Jake. All very cool, very real creepy crawlies. Almost as real as orbs. As orbs. <laughs> and another thing that is almost as real as orbs is that dastardly NC AAA device that I think we need to just bust back out at this yeah. point to boot up and use for the pander function, which is the patron appreciation neural dive for evaluation of risk, which of course... We will use to gauge the safety and security of our various patrons. Yes. We'll boot it up and plug it in. Oh, seems to be functioning normally now. We don't have any kind of uh, major uh, cult asks of it today. We'll plug these cords into the backs <laughs> of our brains so we can <sighs> connect with the dark ether and calculate the creatures that each of our Patreon patrons personally need to look out for. We're going to first focus on... Francesca, Francesca Carendi. Francesca, you gotta look out for... Agta. The Agta is a mythical creature found in Filipino mythology, which means they're probably weird and creepy in a lot of different ways. They are yeah. from the eastern Visayas and are similar to the Capre. They play practical jokes on humans that are said to lure and kidnap women with flowers. So... Oh. If anyone's being silly and offering you a bouquet, run as fast as you can. Especially if they are naked and smoking a rolled cigar. That is generally a red flag. That's a red flag with a bullet uh, right there. <laughs> naked and cigar in public or private, honestly. <laughs> yes. Uh, unless you have uh, agreed upon that interaction ahead of time. Uh, that is probably an uncomfortable place to be. Now, if you're going fishing, there's a chance they may go to great lengths to warn you not to go out on the water and to instead stay on land. Not super clear why that is, but they may Correct. even go so far as to push down trees to block access to the waterfront. It could be that much like naked men smoking cigars, they have a great fear of mercury. So if you carry around a bottle filled with mercury, uh, you'll be very much much safer than you are now by carrying yes. that mercury around. Although, who's to say what that will cost physically and mentally? So yes. be on the lookout for Agta. And thank you very thank much. Thank you so much. Yes. Thank you so much. Now we're going to focus again on a second patron, this time on Will Gerlach. Will you gotta watch out for the Beast, the beast of, of Dartmoor. Dartmoor. Uh, it's name uh, given to an alien big cat in the wow. area of England. <laughs> um, it, you know, in this case, looks kind of like a big old pig. It does look like a pig. Kind of a pig bear. A bear I think pig. Right off the bat, will just avoid Dartmoor, and you'll probably be okay. Yeah. But uh, if you see any kind of cat or dog-like animal in general, 
it's known to have injured and killed livestock in that area, so yes. you don't want to be around that when that Avoid. happens. Uh, there's different sightings of big cats in the area back in 1988 when it began, but it's, it's continued since then. Things looking like uh, pumas, large teeth marks found in a tin of cat food. <laughs> all, all bad signs. So if you see a big old cat or a giant pig, or in this case... Wait a minute, the Beast of Dartmoor is sounding familiar as one, uh, from one of the Black Shuck stories back in Along Lake, where I, I think, think, it, I think this turned was. out to be someone's Newfoundland, this uh, yes, photo. Yes, yes. So watch out for uh, mysterious Newfies, uh, ones that you know are being introduced to, that's fine, but it's a mysterious <laughs> one in the distance <laughs> yeah. that seems at all like it could be a beast, a beast, or a pig, or a yeah. cat, then those are trouble. Um, oh. But generally, yes, thank you so much for supporting us on Patreon. We really deeply appreciate it. And we appreciate anyone and everyone out there who is supporting us as we make this show. It is a true treat. We have uh, three tiers at our Patreon, uh, each one cooler than the last. You can be part of the Glug Sucks, which we'll leave it at that. You'll have <laughs> access to outtakes, bonus minisodes. You'll have access to our exclusive Discord, where someone was recently asking for a reminder of what Glug Sucks meant. Yes. Um, and you will also, if you're one of our first 100 patrons, which currently we're at 90 even, if you're one of our first 100 patrons, you will receive uh, in the mail from me directly a super duper such as Belgian style beer glass, a tulip style glass Ooh, um, with our logo on the side. It's gorgeous. You'll like it. I'll your, mail your it. Your beer will taste better in it. And really any liquid you put into it. Yeah. <laughs> Gatorade, Windex, whatever you like to drink. Do consider jumping on the Patreon. Love you forever. And uh, in the meantime... In the meantime, let's unplug this from our brains. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I felt something. Someone was getting hot there upstairs. We go. And, uh, yeah, if you want to support us in a totally free of charge way, you can leave a nice review and rating for us on your podcast app. And yes. in particular, Apple Podcasts is a big help for whatever reason. That still manages to be the biggest one for getting... Uh, getting traction out there. So if, even if you don't have Apple Podcasts, I've seen a couple of nice reviews. People saying that they have downloaded Apple Podcasts for the express purpose of Thank leaving you reviews. Guys. Very, very kind kindly. of you. Very, very cool. Um, but generally, yeah, if you just listen to the show, that's helping us too. Tell your friends and family to listen to the show. Anyone who will listen to you, that's also great. <laughs> uh, yeah, just spread the good word of this here goofy old show. And this goofy old show next time will be about... Birds. Birds. You heard it here first. We'll catch you next time. Bye. Goodbye. <laughs>